0: Hello, Uh, good afternoon. Um, It's really good to be here. Can I just echo a really warm welcome to each of you. So this afternoon, we're going to pick up this story of Nehemiah. We've been uh, working over it over the last couple of weeks. If you've been with us, you've been following the story. If you're just joining in today, hopefully you'll pick it up and see where we're going. And so we're going to look at chapter six and chapter seven of this book. I'm not going to read it all this afternoon, but we will dive into the start of chapter six and begin there. I'd like this afternoon to simply draw your attention to significant parts of this story. It is an amazing story. And in doing so, I'd like to invite you to see connections with our story and the times and place we inhabit. Much of what I say may not be new. But could I ask that you allow God to remind you of who he is amidst this story. And may that profoundly impact you. That's my prayer. We ask him that, that you will allow God to remind you of who he is amidst this story and may that profoundly impact you. We're going to look at three things. The person, the task, the bigger story. Look at three things. The person of Nehemiah, the task he embarked on and the bigger story. And out of this I'm going to ask what kind of person are you? What task have you been given and what's the bigger story? So let's listen to Nehemiah's recount of what's happened. Flick open your Bibles or open up your iPhones at Nehemiah chapter 6. Uh, and let's kick into the story there. When the word came to Sambalat, Tobai, Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the door and the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent to me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sambalat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. Therefore, you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and even have appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judea. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you say is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will, too, will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, and now strengthened my hands. The story continues and Nehemiah is invited to go to the temple of the Lord by a man called Shani because men were coming to kill Nehemiah. But Nehemiah realised it was a trick and Tobiah and Sambal had actually hired this man, hoping Nehemiah would sin and discredit himself. So let's pick the story up again. Just before verse 14. And you notice the praying continues. I love this. All throughout the story of Nehemiah we see a man who prays. The praying continues, verse 14. Remember Tobiah and at my God because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Nudea and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Ulai in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realised that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judea, uh, Judah were sending many letters to Dubai and replies from Dubai kept coming. Skip down to the end of verse 19 and Dubai sent letters to intimidate me. Let's stop there at this point. Leave your Bibles open because we're going to dip in and out. I want us to notice some things about this story, because this is an amazing story. And I'm struck again by the wisdom of Nehemiah. How he handled the scheming, how he handled the fake news, how he handled the traps. At the start of this chapter, we read how, verse 2, Sambala and Geshem sent me this message, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Nehemiah handles her scheming. This wasn't a distrust of people, who can, which can often be the default setting of our age. He, Nehemiah was able to read people. He had discernment. He knew what was true. We see this again in verse 8. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making up out of your head. Nehemiah calls out fake news. He calls it out. But above all, I love how the conversation with God was his overflow. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. And this pulls me back to the big story of this passage, to the big story of this book. This isn't a story of Nehemiah. This isn't a story of his character, and that's important. But there's a task at hand, rebuilding the wall. And did you catch what's going on? Verse 1, we could almost have missed it. Verse one When the word came to Sambala, Tobai Gesham the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I'd rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I'd not set the doors in the gate. Did you catch that? That I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I'd not set the doors in the gate. They have rebuilt the wall. They have rebuilt the wall. Wow. The doors are still to go in, but wow. We've been following this story over the last number of weeks and we could easily have rushed past this and get sidetracked by the rumours and the goading and the fake news. But imagine this. The city is rebuilt. The walls are complete. Under Nehemiah's direction, all these people, these families, the fathers, the daughters, the nobles, the merchants, the goldsmiths, the priests, they have rebuilt the wall. Look at this. The walls are rebuilt. Two and a half miles finished. This chapter is topped and tailed with this news. Verse 15. So the wall was completed. Verse 16. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realised that this work had been done with the help of our Lord. The wall is complete. The city is rebuilt. And just in case you wondered if the gates got sorted, slip into chapter 7, verse 1, and it says... After the walls had been rebuilt, I had set the doors in place. It's done. It's all done. It would have been easy to get sidetracked on the fake news headlines. It would have been easy to get sidetracked on how Nehemiah handles this and lost sight of what is actually going on. But stop and savour this moment. Stop and savour this moment. About 18 months ago, when I was changing jobs and leaving Scripture Union, the staff at SU had asked me to keep a night free. They told me nothing about the night except that someone would pick me up, dress, night, dress nice, and the night came along. So the night came around and I got picked up and off we headed. And I thought we might be going to one of the nice restaurants. But we drove past all the ones I thought we might be going to. And then I thought we might be going to a local church hall because we'd done that before, maybe get Chinese in, but we didn't head in that direction. And suddenly the car I was in was pulling into the grounds of Stormont and we parked, went through the security of Stormont and walked into the main Stormont buildings. And I don't know um, if you've been in it, but there's this huge giant marble hallway when you come into the Stormont building. And I turned into the hall, and at the far end, on those intimidating marble steps at the end, were the staff and the board of SU, all suited and booted, and clapping me as I walked towards them. It was quite overwhelming, and I was stunned. I was overcome by their kindness, and an amazing night unfurled. We had a drinks reception, we had a stunning three-course meal, and some really incredible, generous speeches. They marked the occasion. And though the significance of that night was actually due to the quality of the years I'd spent with an amazing team, the quality of people I'd worked with, both staff and volunteers, their commitment, and I, but I, yeah, I deeply, deeply appreciated that they took time to mark the moment. When you read the Bible, it is too easy to skip past parts because they're in the past or to skip past parts because you know what happens. But can I ask you this morning to savour the moment? Under Nehemiah's direction, all these families—fathers, daughters, nobles, merchants, goldsmiths, priests—have rebuilt the wall. The story we opened with in chapter one was a heartbroken man petitioning God for help, and now he's standing in a city with the walls rebuilt. It's amazing. It's amazing. So what happens next? The story continues and we continue into chapter 7. Flick open um, your Bibles or your phones to chapter 7. This is an amazing chapter of what happens next. Once the walls are complete, then the gatekeepers and musicians and the Levites were appointed and Nehemiah put Hanani and Hananiah in charge. The city is secure. The gatekeepers in place. And then he placed leaders in charge. And then the real stuff happens. Cast your eye down to verse 4. The exiles returned. Chapter 7 outlines how Nehemiah repopulated the city. Just scan your eye down the list of names in chapter 7. Scan down. See the families, the fathers, the people represented. Scan down across all 70 verses. Scan down to verse 66. The whole company numbered 42,360 beside their slaves and also their singers and their horses and their mules and their camels and their donkeys. The whole company numbered numbered 42,360. And the last verse of chapter 7 says, When the seventh month came, the Israelites had settled in their towns. The task was complete, but there was a bigger story on, and the bigger story is summed up in two words, come home. Chapters 6 and 7 are amazing hinge moments in this story. Not only is the wall finished, but now people can come home. Live at home. Make home here. Be safe. Over 15 years ago, a boy turned up at my door and his visit has impacted me profoundly. Some of you have maybe heard me tell this story before, but we retell stories because they, they impact us. Um, I wonder, have you ever been scared? It's not a really pleasant memory to recall. Um, From uh, incidents with spiders to losing your parents in a shopping mall. We all have stories of being scared, some little and some large. But I met a wee guy who was really scared. It was a Tuesday night. I had just made my tea. Um, It was about half seven. I was about to sit down and eat it, watch TV and enjoy my tea i have been working all day and I was starving. Anyway, my doorbell went and when I went to open my door, there was a wee lad standing in front, outside. I'm I'm guessing he was eight or nine years old. And he was just at my front door and I have a a wee bit of a yard and a wall. And at the wall were around ten guys. They looked about age, I would say, ranging from the age of seven to thirteen. And the guy at my door started to tell me what had been happening. These guys had been chasing him. He says, I I told them you're my aunt. Is that okay? No problem. I said to the guys at the wall, look, we're just going to catch up. You know, you can go on. Are you really his aunt? They asked. Yeah, I said, yeah. Uh, And we're going to catch up. And the wee lad standing beside me was petrified. I could see it in his eyes. I'm not sure what had gone on. There was a bit of blood on his cuff, but I didn't know anything else. "'Do you live nearby?' I asked. "'Do you, do you want me to walk you home?' I, "'I can walk you home.' "'So I ran in, I grabbed my phone and my keys, "'and when I came back outside, he just he says, can I, "'Can I just phone my dad?' "'Of course.' "'As soon as he came into my house, "'as soon as I shut the front door, "'he burst into tears. "'It was obvious he'd been holding it in, "'and he just cried. "'The wee love sobbed down the phone to his dad.' And tried to explain to his dad where he was. I brought him into my living room. And he was really still shook up. I I didn't even know his name. So I said, I'm Helm. And shook his hand and offered him a seat. And asked him, did he want any juice? And his name was Darren. And he'd been walking up to his mum's when these guys had started to chase him. You're okay now, I said. The guys were still outside. They were still shouting in through the letterbox. I ignored it for a while and then went, I went out. And one of the guys was particularly forceful. He looked about the youngest in the crowd. I would say he was about seven or eight years old. But his eyes were much older. And he had the look of a child who would take me on, who would take any one of us on and probably win eventually the boys left and it seemed to take an age for Darren's dad to arrive and as we waited I didn't know was this going to be out of the frying pan into the fire for Darren I didn't know how his dad was going to react if his dad would care if all this would be a hassle what was home like for Darren and as his dad sped up in the car and as soon as he clapped eyes on Darren you could see concern written all over it Darren jumped in the car and on this occasion he got back home what an episode. I couldn't help but think. I am so glad whatever door Darren went to, there was someone in. I'm so glad he had the wit to call at someone's door. I'm so glad I was able to help. But that incident had a really big impression on me bullying, taunting, fights, gangs, boys being hurtful and uncaring. We don't have to go too far to see it. A child I have never seen before turned up at my door. In need of rescuing. And I couldn't help but think of other kids like Darn, whose summer is gonna be a nightmare. I couldn't help but get that the face of that wee lad that swore at me out of my head. Maybe you know the kind of kids I'm talking about, the ones that are old before their time, the ones that cover their hearts and their eyes with a mask, the ones that hate you, really hate you, the ones that will break your heart. There are kids all over this country and they need rescuing. They need to know that God is listening and he will rescue them. There are teenagers all over this country and they need rescuing. They need to know that God is listening and he will listen. There are adults all over this country and they need rescuing. They need to know that God is listening and he will rescue them. And here, in this story of Nehemiah, he is underlining to his people through the giant 2.5 meter high walls that God was listening. You are safe. You are people of dignity. This is a remarkable story. The city had been rebuilt. rebuilt. The task was finished. And now comes a real story. The people can come home. So what might be the connections for us today? Three things. Can I invite you to follow in the footsteps of Nehemiah and be people of integrity, be people of wisdom, people who can discern character around you, who can discern fake news, who can discern truth. And that doesn't happen overnight. So can I invite you to take steps towards that this very month? Get yourself in front of some wise people. Get coffees, get dinners, build friendships, start hanging out. Start noticing what makes wise people wise. What makes truth, truth. Start taking the calls that build wisdom and truth in your life. Choose that path right now. Start with choosing honesty. Start with inviting God in. And as you do that, allow your conversations with God to be an overflow. Seek his strength, seek his intervention, seek him. Can I go off on a tangent for the moment? On Father's Day, to the dads in this room, on this day when you are marked, when you are celebrated, can I invite you to build integrity into your life? We're sold a lie that we too often buy into, and that is a need to be perfect as parents. And though you'll roll your eyes as parents, you'll say to me, no, Helen, I am not perfect. Too often and too many times already and in the years to come, you will beat yourself up for not being perfect. Don't worry about perfection. Try integrity. When you say you'll do something, do it. Model commitment. Model reliability. And when you get it wrong, say sorry. Sorry. That will have a profound impact on your kid. We're not striving after perfection. We're striving for integrity. You need to be wise for your child. And you can because you'll have spent years choosing the little moments in life to seek truth. So will you be men like Nehemiah? Wise, discerning, committed. Committed. And ladies in the room, don't think you're off the hook just because the main character in the story is a man. Don't close your eyes to what God has to say to you this afternoon. To all of us, as we consider what kind of a person Nehemiah was, can I ask you to remember the task he, was, he embarked on? More than the person you are, what task is in front of you? If you're following Jesus, then it's summed up in be his disciple. Just that. Your task is to live for him, to follow him. That's your task. And I guess there are many ways that you'll outwork that, family, friendships here in this community, as we try and foster a community that might spur us on, uh, spur each other on and others towards God. And this task is a lifelong one. So let's celebrate along the way. Let's take those occasions like that time where you might take communion for the first time or when we corporately take communion, when you get married or when you want to celebrate a a new baby, a new child into your family or when we simply sit with each other and pray together on any giving Sunday. But let's celebrate. Let's not be people who rush past verse 1 or verse 15 in chapter 6 and miss the significant moments. Let's outwork this together. But there's more. There's an even bigger story going on, and that's the invitation to home. We might gather together because we uh, love Jesus, or we like the music or the teaching or the community, but that's not the story. The story, the reason that we're here, is to invite people home. Let them know the safety of the arms of Jesus. And the beauty of a Christian community. Can I remind you of chapter 7? Of that list of names of people coming home. That long list of people coming home in chapter 7. Maybe print it out and stick it on your fridge. Maybe screenshot it and place it as your screensaver for the next month. Maybe stick it in your wallet so as you go about your day, you're faced again and again with the calling in each of us to help others come home. Don't wait till we run Alpha. Don't wait for someone else. Let's do this now. Invite others home. Don't think building the walls is a task. Creating home (laughs) is the real story. Oh, sorry. Be inspired by the phenomenal man that Nehemiah was. Be encouraged that the task he set out on was completed. But remember the bigger story. Come home. Chapter 7 says Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my Lord, put it on my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. Our mission statement here at Central is joining with God and others in the transformation of the city as disciples who make disciples. So in the overflow of this, we want to see folks come home to Jesus. We want to see that right across this city, here and other places of God. Other churches, other communities of Jesus. The Nehemiah story isn't over. There are more chapters. But for this morning, I would love us to take some time to pray. And there's a couple of things I'd love us to pray for. But maybe let me invite Dave and Joy back up. And can you let the things that I've shared, the story of Nehemiah, settle And then I'll maybe ask us to respond by praying. Because it feels like to take time to intercede, to pray, to place ourselves before God seems a really appropriate response to this story this morning.